0: And this morning, this morning we read um, John six verses one through fifteen, and I'm just going to pick up the next few verses here, and verses sixteen through twenty one, and um, just kind of work our way through this and ask for the Lord's wisdom and guidance here to glean what He would would have us to see. I think there's some great. Um, application here for situations that we get into and that we face and I you know this morning I wanted to mention this to start because I, I think this is one of the main points that, that John is doing as he moves through here Jesus is sovereign God is sovereign you know we saw in this chapter how how Jesus speaking of himself and, and um, his relationship to the father and and, and the fact that he is God himself, God in the flesh. He said that he has power to give life, right? To, to raise people from the dead, spiritually and bodily at the last day. He gives life to whom he wills. So that's, that's one of the running themes here. And, and, and I, would, I would phrase it this way, that... Christ presents himself and and God presents him, the Scripture presents him as he is. We we don't have the prerogative of kind of making up our own minds. If if we do, what we wind up with is, is nothing more than idolatry. So when you come to Jesus, you come on his terms. That's, that's really what it means to come to Christ in faith. You, you come believing that He's Lord, and you come submitting to His Lordship, and you come trusting in Him in that regard. Now, I don't mean by that, of course, that when a person comes to Christ, that you fully understand all of that initially. In fact, you may have walked with Christ for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. You don't fully understand all that. None of us do. <laughs> None of us fully, fully grasp that. But we have to have, you know, that, that surrender is there, that you surrender to Him as Lord. You come on His terms. Now, we saw that implied or hinted at in those last couple verses this morning, verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that He had done, They said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, notice, he knows that they're going to come by force and make him king, and he rejects that. It's interesting. this This is what many men have sought after. I mean, they would, they would willingly, if the crowd would suddenly rise up and say, you know, we're going to make you the king or whatever, the lead guy, the one that we follow, that we worship, um, they, would, they would willingly, that's what they're looking for. But Jesus rejects that. He will reveal Himself in His own time, in His own way, and for who He really is. And He, did, he didn't come to reestablish the nation of Israel as a sovereign nation. At that point, he did come as a deliverer. In in the same vein as Moses, but but greater. I mean, he's greater than Moses, and he was a Moses. Just pictured what Jesus was coming to do. Moses delivering the children of Israel from Egypt foreshadowed Jesus delivering his people from sin. Spiritual deliverance. Deliverance from death. The death of being dead and trespasses and sin. And being raised to newness of life. Again, remember, earlier in the chapter, he says, many, the time is now that many hear my voice. The dead, that is, hear my voice, and, and they're raised. It's a spiritual resurrection. So Jesus rejects the idea of being made king. On their terms. Just like He did with Satan when He was tempted in the wilderness. He's going to do it on His terms and His way. So, we we see that play out little by little all the way through the Gospel. And this is another instance where that manifests. In other words, who He really is, His power... Manifest in His own way, in His own time. You see that here in verses 16 through 21. Now, let's just walk through this because, uh, again, there, there is, there is um, relevance for us. There, there are implications for us in situations that we face as well. And I, I think it would be true to say that often, often when, when Jesus makes Himself known, It will be in the midst of some very troubling time. Maybe not always, but often. Often. This is is one of those cases here. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now... Dark. Now, remember, this is this is immediately following the feeding of the five thousand, and two of the other synoptic gospels record it in this same spot. Luke does not. Uh, Matthew and Mark do. So, evidently, uh, this is the this is the correct chronology, I and mean, this is the, this is when the event actually happened. You know, when you, as you're reading the gospels, they're, they're not always. In chronological order, sometimes they're thematic. Is, you know, there's a certain theme that the author is trying to get across, and so he pulls on um, either sayings or events from Jesus, and uh, and you know puts those together to fit a certain theme. And sometimes they're they're chronological, and that's the case here, evidently. Following the feeding of the five thousand, immediately Jesus instructs them to get into a boat. Um, to cross to the other side of the sea. And we know why. He's trying to get away from the crowd because they want to take him by force and make him a king. So he sends all the crowd away, what uh, the other gospel writers tell us. He dismisses the crowd. He himself goes up to a, a mountain spot to pray and tells the disciples to go to the other side. So... John records it this way here again in verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum, they're going back to the west side. It was now dark. Now, here, here's where the trouble comes in. And I and, you know, you you, you want to be careful a lot of times. Uh, you, you don't want to over-spiritualize a text, but we do draw implications and principles from things that are written. But I do think a lot of times, uh, I'm going to show you a couple of examples here. Um, sometimes in the book of John, he's hinting at something the way he writes. So, John, one of John's themes is this contrast between darkness and light. Darkness and light. Darkness of course, representing evil, or um, you, you think of it in these terms, absence of Christ. I mean, after all, what is, what is darkness? It's the absence of light, right? And we're told in the prologue that in Jesus is life, and the life is the light. Right? And he lighteth, he coming into the world, lights every man, John says. Or as we said it earlier on, I think this is a proper way to understand it. Every every man that's lit <laughs> is lit by Jesus. If you've been illuminated to know the truth, God's made Himself known to you in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how that's how He did it through through Jesus, through coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through through the uh, through the preaching of the gospel. So He He is the light, and we're going to see that we're going to see more on that thing, but. I think it's hinted at here. In other words, John here is writing about a troubling time for the disciples. He was one of them, by the way. He's, he's an eyewitness here, the Apostle John that's writing this. He was one of them. And he's writing about a troubling experience for them. And he, and he emphasizes this fact. It was dark. It was dark. Let me show you a couple of other places he does that. One is... John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. You remember us talking about this discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Why does John make a point of telling us that it was at night? And again, just seems that he's hinting there. In other words, Nicodemus comes at a time when he's without Christ, right? He's in darkness. Another one, and there's more, but I'm going to give you you one more here. Uh, Chapter 13, and this is where Judas betrays the Lord, or or this is where he leaves to go and betray the Lord. Um, Chapter 13, Verse 30, So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. It's a dark time. It's a dark, dark, dark time, especially in that that instance. So there's some application here, I think, in the verses we're about to look at for some dark times in our own life. and Of course, initially, it's, it, we're like, we were like Nicodemus. It was a time when we were without Christ. And we couldn't get to Him. That's it's not in us. That's not in a lost person. They don't, they don't have the capacity. We didn't have the capacity. We didn't have the faculties to you know, just kind of shake ourselves spiritually and wake ourselves up and say, oh... I need Jesus. I need to be saved. No, we're in darkness. So it's just like a if you just picture a pitch black room where you can't see anything. What you need is some revelation. You need some light to shine. And that's what the Lord does. I didn't know till yesterday. By the way, I you know I had a public uh, school education, um, so I didn't know. And B- Bozear Parish, but uh, which <clears throat> I didn't know till yesterday. Wait, well, let me just let me just put it in question form. What what color? What color? Anybody, you can jump out and answer this. What color is an orange? Orange. <laughs> orange. All right. See, I thought that was a quick uh, trick question. <laughs> What color is an orange in the dark? No, it's not. Because the color comes from the reflection of light on it. I don't feel so bad now. I didn't, I didn't know that until yesterday. But, <laughs> it's, it's, got, it's got to have the light shine on it. I checked it out. No. <laughs> I couldn't see. I, you know, I couldn't see a lot, but I checked it out. No. <laughs> uh, so anyway, dark darkness is the absence of light. That's right. That's a great picture of sin, by the way. Um, or evil. Let's just use the term evil. What is evil? Evil is the absence of good. Take take all the good away, you've got evil. And there there you have a a picture of hell because a a person is removed from God, the presence of God. So there's, there's no good whatsoever for that person. There's no experience of it. There's no sight of it. Evil is the absence of good. So, think about the dark time. Now, now the, the second example I was going to say, just in, for making this applicable to us, because I'm not just talking about initially. That is the case initially. Initially, we were, we were in darkness, and what we needed was Christ to reveal Himself, make Himself known, to show up on the scene and shine light on the situation, which is what He does. That's, that's what happens at regeneration. By the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He, he gives us life. He lights every man. He illuminates. Alright, so then we know the truth. Then we know Him. Then we come to Him. But there are also, as Christians, there are dark times that we go through. I mean, there are times that we go through where it seems like the light is absent. In fact, go back again to uh, chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. You see the picture there? Jesus had not yet come. It's dark. I mean, yes, John is. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize the passage. John is recording a real event that really happened. So it was really dark outside, and Jesus had really not yet physically come. But I'm just saying uh, there's also application here for situations that we face. It, it's a dark situation um, when when we when we don't have the cognizance of the light, when we don't have the awareness of the presence of Christ. when Let's just say it this way, the way John says it. When He's not yet come. In other words, maybe there are times, right, when when God allows us to go through things for His purpose, to get to an end that He's achieving. And so the manifestation that is coming, we're going to see in a moment, has not yet come yet so so you're in a situation and it feels dark, and it gets worse. verse eighteen the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing so now you've got a real turbulent situation, and <laughs> i if there's if there's one thing worse than being in the dark, it's to be in the dark and then, you know, just experience turbulence. In other words, now you're not only not only can you not see, but also you don't have any stability. The wind the sea becomes rough and it's tossing the boat around and the wind is really blowing. You know, that can be a really Wind is a powerful force. It'd be a really frightening thing. I don't think, at least as long as I have my senses about me, as long as the Lord allows that, I don't think I'll ever forget the sound of the wind when we uh, we got hit by a tornado uh, up where I work in uh, in 1996. That was an amazing thing. I don't even really want to forget it. I mean, it's just amazing. I remember there were several of us. Um, We got down. You know, there there was really no safe place in the building that we were in, but we tried to get something that resembled, you know, a safe place. And and so we just we just basically knelt in the floor and covered our heads like that. And uh, then (laughs) this always this always makes me think of Acts chapter two. A few seconds later, you could hear the sound of a rushing, mighty wind. I'm telling you, it was strong. I could even feel it because in this metal building, it was coming through cracks. You know, in the uh, I guess where the metal meets the foundation, or whatever. You know, we we didn't have an airtight building. I can tell you that because it was it was coming through. I could feel it and I could hear it. It was just a really you imagine a rushing wind. And so I'm thinking. I remember sitting there and I'm and I thought, there it is. You know, because they they had announced that This <laughs> one of the one of the ladies that answers the phones. I mean, she did such a good job. Very nonchalantly, she gets on the PA system and said, everybody. Please get to a safe place. There's a tornado coming. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you don't hear that one every day on the intercom. Uh, thank the Lord. <laughs> That's when everybody goes in panic mode. You know, you lose your lose your. Lose your Sensibility is there for a few minutes. But I remember that rushing sound, and, I, you know, and I, I remember thinking, there it is. That wasn't it. A few seconds later, I heard another sound. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it except the classic way. You know, They say it sounds like a freight train, and that's, that is kind of... So the, you know, what I was hearing initially was just this movement of wind. It was wind, but I mean, it was just force of wind going out in front of the tornado. And then a few minutes later when it came, of course, you know, then everything starts shaking. And, and uh, I mean, it was just a rumbling is the best way I know to. It. It, it, it sounded like a giant washing machine moving by next to the building or some freight train. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. So not only is it dark, but, you know, all, all st- sense of stability. I mean, we... So often, I know there's a little bit of of a delusion here, but so often we we think we're secure, don't we? I mean, when we're just clicking along and the sun's shining and and the the sea is calm, we've got a lot of times what amounts to a false sense of security. But but we feel secure, you know, the ground's stable, and uh, I've never been in an earthquake. I've always thought that must be a really really bad feeling. You know, that's pretty much the one thing you always feel like you can count on. You know, you get on a ride at the fair that scares you half to death and at least when it's over, you can get off and hug the ground, you know, get down. The ground is stable, you know. But in an earthquake, you don't have that. Bad, terrible, terrible thing. So, it's dark and the sea is tossing the boat and the wind is blowing and it's dark and Jesus hasn't come yet. That's a rough time. That's a scary time. <clears throat> and even in the dark, a lot of times, you know, we, we, we really fail to realize our own frailty and the need for the Savior. And then John goes on and says, um, in verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. When they had rowed about three or four miles. So here's the deal. And this this is really interesting to me as well. Um, You go back and you read Matthew. You You read the account in Matthew 14 and Mark 6 and Luke. And you find out, Luke 9 I believe it is, and you find out that Jesus told them to get in the boat. John leaves out that detail here. But again, like I say, you read the accounts in the the synoptics. Jesus told them to get into the boat and go to the other side. Now, they're toiling. One of the writers records it, toiling and rowing. And they're rowing against the waves and the wind. They're working hard to do what Jesus said do. Go to the other side. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about that. In the midst of doing what Jesus said do, they get overtaken by this horrible event. You know, the darkness and the storm. In the dark, in a storm, doing the Lord's will. Are you are you are you rowing? Are you rowing hard? I mean, that may be a good question for us too, because we ought to be. They were doing the right thing. I mean, don't fault them. Say, well, you know, here they were, man. They're going along trying to do things on their own. He told them to get in the boat and go to the other side. They're working, laboring, doing what he said to do. Now, I'd be willing to to guess they again. They may have had a false sense of security there. I mean, these were experienced. Boaters, they, they weren't novices. And so they, they probably weren't that concerned about getting in the boat and going to the other side until the storm brewed And these storms, even today, uh, from what I've read and all, they, the, uh, the fishermen do, uh, you know, they're on alert. They do fear them because they come up suddenly. These storms arise uh, really suddenly on the, uh, on the Sea of Galilee because of the extreme differences in in the uh, uh, altitudes there. You know, the, the, the lake being low and then, the, and then the land alongside the lake is so high in some places the wind just sweeps down off of the cliffs and uh, it'll stir up a storm quick. But, um, here they are, experienced though they are, uh, they're out of control. But they're doing what the Lord said to do. And, and nevertheless, they find themselves in trouble. But then they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Listen, Jesus was tempted in all points, <clears throat> as we are. I mean, there are, there are a lot of times we have to, we have to, be, we have to be real um, diligent and you know, careful in drawing the right parallels. Jesus understands. He truly does. I mean, I don't care what temptation we face, what hardship we deal with, He understands. He's tempted in all points like as we are. At the same time, He's not affected by situations the same way we are. So the the very storm that has them in turmoil, the the water that's, you know, waves that are crashing and all that has them in turmoil, he's, He's walking on it like he's taking an evening stroll. In fact, he would have passed them by. He wasn't concerned for his own safety. He wasn't concerned for their safety. That may sound a little bit harsh. He wasn't concerned for their safety. No. (laughs) You know why? (laughs) Because he's in control. It's not because he didn't care about them. It's because he's in control. But he comes walking on the sea. So the storms that we go through, as bad as they are, he's, he's over and above them. And He's not affected by them. He's not touched by them in the same sense that we are. And by that, what I mean is, I don't mean that He doesn't, he doesn't have compassion or and I don't mean that He doesn't um, empathize. What I mean is, they don't overcome Him. He's always on top of it. He's always in control. So He's walking on the sea. That is tossing them violently. And coming near the boat. And they were frightened. That's interesting, isn't it? They were frightened. They were afraid. Terrified. One count says they thought he was a spirit. And and it's it's common, and it's just a sign of of, of our weakness. Sometimes our rebellion. Sometimes it's a sign of our unwillingness to come to grips with who he is. Sometimes it's just our weakness. But but we can be in in a storm, in a bad situation, and you know, of course, we have that period before he comes. But then then he comes. Then we see him, and we don't recognize him. We don't we don't recognize. Jesus in the storm. I was listening to a, a brother today, and he was he was giving some encouraging words um, about how oh, I'm trying to remember how he how he was saying he was giving some, trying, giving the, the prisoners out here some encouraging words about um, why. We go through things that we go to. you know, he took them to Genesis 3, talked about the fall, and this is why there's sin in the world. But, but he did, he did dance around a little bit when it came to, I mean, he read from a piece of paper, why does God allow these things to happen? And when he answered those questions, he had two or three questions like that. When he answered them, he, he did some footwork. You you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we don't recognize the Lord in the storm. That can't be Him. And surely, surely, either Jesus doesn't do well at telling the weather, or they misunderstood His command. Surely Jesus didn't tell them to go across the lake in the dark in a storm. Yes, he did. And yes, this is him. Do you see now he's now he's manifesting himself, his power, his identity. He's doing it his way. Showing them who he really is. So again, they saw Jesus verse. Verse 19 says, They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But He said to them, and this is so good <laughs> right here, <laughs> He said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Now literally, He uses the, the, the words that um, John records, oh man, several times here in the book of John. But it, I am, is what He says. I am. And even the, the structure of it, is is uh, agrees with um, God's name in the Old Testament, the way it was translated into Greek. like in Genesis, when when God appeared to Moses in the in the uh, in a, uh, burning bush, um, in uh, what was it in Exodus in, in and three or four, I think it is. He appears to Moses in the burning bush, and and uh, Moses he tells Moses he's going to go to Egypt. And Moses says, "Who do I tell him? Sent me." And he says, "Tell him I am sent you." I am that I am. And Jesus uses that on more than one occasion. Here it's not so obvious that He's using it in that sense. In other places it's more obvious. Like in John 8.58 when he, when he says, Abraham rejoiced to see My day. And the Jews say, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham. And Jesus comes back and says, before Abraham was, I am. And He uses the very same... Phrase, two words, two words two words that mean the same thing in the Greek. Both of them mean I am. You put them together, you've got strong emphasis. One is the word ego. It's where we get our, our word ego. I. And the other one's a me. It's a uh, Greek, it's a form of the to be verb. I am. I mean, you could just simply say, he could have just simply said a me. That, that means I am. But when he says ego, a me, he's putting great emphasis. I or, I am, I am. And when he did that in John 58, it was clear to the Jews what he was saying. Before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what he was doing, so they took up stones to throw at him because, again, he was making himself equal with God. So here he is manifesting himself and his identity in the midst of the storm. It's me. Do you see what he's saying? It's It's dark. The storm is raging. And Jesus is saying, It's me. I'm here. I'm in the midst. You're doing exactly what I told you to do. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. You see what he's saying? Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He's in just as much control in the midst of this storm as He is when they're reclining on a hillside or something or sitting on the beach or you know, floating around in a boat on a calm day. He's just as much in charge here as He is there. One of my favorite quotes from Stonewall Jackson, the Civil War general, you know, he would, go out, he would go out into the battle riding high, sitting high on his horse. I mean, you know, just upright. Bullets whizzing around everywhere and cannonballs. And one soldier asked him after a battle, how do you do that? And he said, son, my faith teaches me that I'm as safe on the battlefield as I am in my own bed. He seemed to have an understanding that God's in control, no matter what the situation. So Jesus says, "It's I." I mean, see, our, we're like them. Our dull senses we don't we don't perceive. We don't want to perceive a lot of times that it's the Lord and that He would have anything to do with the dark situation that we're in. But Jesus says, "Look, don't fear." And by the way, I'm glad too that He didn't just rail against them. Aren't you? I mean, that would, that would be intimidating because we do the same thing. They they do with the doubts and the fears. And in His grace, I mean, He could come on the scene and say, "Look, you idiots," and just and just lay into them. You, you saw the you've seen the healings that I've done. You saw me. We just fed five thousand people with. It. Five loaves and two fish. But they're going through some real trouble. And Jesus brings some real grace. And He says, It's me. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Now, they didn't recognize Him before, but now, now they see Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Jesus got them safely where he told them to go. Now you might be like me and think i like to have a little less trouble on the way <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we get there safe in the end but how about a little softer ride I just, I just finished reading a 400 page book about the history of missions and uh, I'm telling you some of the things that God's people have gone through and still go through today. Just amazing. But, you know what it shows? That God's grace is amazing. That it's sufficient, like he told Paul. Paul Paul said, i got a, a messenger of Satan Imagine that. Messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. I mean, if if he meant that literally, what he's saying, there's been a demon assigned to me that troubles me everywhere I go. So, So Paul said, I asked the Lord three times to take it away. And the answer came back. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul covered a lot of ground. Even by today's standards, it's amazing the ground Paul covered. And he wasn't riding in a limo. He wasn't even on a Greyhound bus or an Amtrak or something like that. All by the grace of God. And he took beatings. He endured shipwrecks. And he said, I'd like a little easier to ride. And essentially the Lord said, it's me. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. My, gra- my grace is sufficient. My, my power is, is, is best shown when you're the weakest. These are some experienced fishermen, but they couldn't fight for that storm. It was too much for them. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he does two things. First, he calms the turmoil that's going on inside of them. And you get that again from the other, from the synoptic accounts. And by the way, that's very interesting too, that he addresses that before he addresses the turmoil on the outside. I think that's the whole purpose in it. That's where, he was, that's where he was taking them. Before he's taking them to the other shore, the other side of the lake, first priority was getting them to a point of greater trust in him. So he calms the turmoil inside, and then he speaks to the situation. Peace. Be still. And he commands the storm to stop. You think that didn't get their attention? He reveals himself in his own way, in his own time, and to whom he pleases. He could have taken all those... That was a crowd, probably fifteen or 20,000 people. He could have taken them up on that deal, you know, been the king. But he was far more of a king than they even imagined. And he chose to reveal himself in situations like this to particular people chosen and show them his true identity. One who can speak and even stop the wind and the waves. And they said, what manner of man is this? They were starting to get a handle, on, a little bit of a handle on who He was. He told them to get in the boat. He was fully aware of what they were going to face. And He knew full well He was going to get them safely to the other side. It's the same with you and I. It's the same with you and I. He who began a good work in us will... Completed to the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your grace. Your grace in caring for us. Your grace in providing for us. Your grace, Lord, in guiding us every step of the way, even when we don't know, we don't have a clue that we're being guided sometimes. We step out, we have intentions of doing this or that, not even understanding that every step is ordered by You. But Lord, we thank You. We thank You that You are sovereign. We thank You that You love us. We thank You that You're with us every moment. We don't always perceive it. We're not always aware. But You're here. In the midst of the sunshine, in the midst of the storms. And Lord, we thank You for Your keeping grace that ensures that we persevere to the end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.